If you'd like to learn more about the Texas Radio Theater Company, be sure to log on to www.texasradiotheater.com. Welcome to this week's Texas Radio Theater Podcast. This time you'll hear the first half of Spunky McLean and the murder at the Rockford Theater. Spunky McLean was produced by the Texas Radio Theater Company and was performed and recorded only once at the Arlington Museum of Art on May 17, 2002. As its name suggests, it's Texas Radio Theater's answer to your classic 1950s radio detective, written and directed by Sonny Bynum. And now for the adventures of your favorite detective and mine, Spunky McLean. Most times it's just a matter of tracking the perpetrator from the scene of the crime to his cozy little roost. But this time, there was no clear trail. And I was running short on time and long on suspects. The Texas Radio Theater now proudly presents Spunky McLean in Murder at the Rockford Theater. New York is just the kind of town where a guy can get to like the place. Just enough, but not too much. The mind of man can devise the perfect Cuban roll and the best blend of Colombian beans for that perfect brew. But it never ends there. My friend and associate, Dr. Dickens, would say... The orangutan doesn't betray his fellow. That is the sole domain of Homo sapiens. But that's why God made Greenwich Village. It's the most lovable part of the greatest city in the world. And now that the beatniks have taken root, it's become a cultural booyah base. It was a bright spring morning in April. The smell of warm macadam mingled with the sweet scent of baked goods and the snap of sea breeze coming off the bay. The bed of daffodils sitting in front of Cucina La Guardia were growing like weeds, like pretty much everything this time of year, including my hair. I needed a trim, brother, and fast. I was starting to look like I should be wearing a beret and writing poetry. Hey, sweet Bobby, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Spunky, everyone's favorite P.I. Gee, a cigar sure does smell good. Oh, boy, my dad sure did love a good cigar. Hey, you here for a haircut? It looks like you could use one. Yeah, I uh, sure yeah, could. proper hygiene. Besides, the way a man dresses, it's pretty much all he's got to make a good first impression. That and a good firm handshake, know what I mean? Yeah, sweet Bobby, that's about right. Uh, the clothes make the man. Heard that from a hack down in Charleston once when I was... Hey, say, uh, you got a few minutes? Uh, I'll be done with Mr. Jackson here in a jiff. You can sit down over there if you'd like. I got the new Look magazine. Check out page 31. It's a real eye popper. Anyway, Mr. Jackson, like I was saying before... Sweet Bobby Terrell. We called him Sweet Bobby because he was just about the sweetest guy in the tri-state area. Give you the shirt off his back. And if that wasn't enough, he'd go and buy you a jacket to match. His barbershop was like a piece of a small town that got stuck in the big city. The smell of trimming oil and aftershave perverted the joint like a summer breeze downwind from a Johnson & Johnson plant. At the counter, you'd get a nose full of peppermint on account of the hard candy that Sweet Bobby loved to give to the kids, like the two that were in the shop that morning. Try to crunch it like Sweet Bobby does. I can't crunch it. It's too hard. All he does is hold a peppermint like this. Use both hands. No, I can't. Sweet Bobby's the only one who can crunch him like that. Yeah, I guess so. Come on, let's go. (laughs) See you boys later. Bye, Sweet Bobby. There was an old Victrola in the back playing out the top ten hit songs from ten years ago. When he wasn't giving some Joe a crew cut, all 260 pounds of Sweet Bobby would be jiggling to the rhythm under his white cotton barber's jacket with the carnation that always graced his lapel. I love dancing, but I'm just a hack. 
to watch people that are really graceful, you know? All over the shop, pictures of neighborhood chums and clientele of notoriety covered the walls, almost all the way up to the ceiling. Bobby used a ladder to put them up there, but as tall as he was, he hardly needed to. Uh, say, sweet Bobby, who's the uh, new kid over here on the wall? Which one? Oh, that, that's Tommy Shopton, plays forward for Central High. That's my alma mater, too, you know. Anyway, they had him at point guard, but now he's really playing the game. Four to five from the free throw line. Jumps as high as a kangaroo, and boy, let me tell you something, he could give better than he gets. Well, he's lean and he's quick, too, you know. Uh, Mr. Jackson, have it on the side right here. Is that all right with the side runs? Yeah, that's, that's just fine, sweet Bobby. Yeah, that Tommy makes me wish I'd kept up the game. I should have guessed you were a basketball player. Did you play back in high school? Oh, yeah. I played a game or two. Oh, I'll bet you were a regular ace grooting. Oh, come on, Spunky. It wasn't all that big a deal. The guy was so modest that the only way to get him to quit bumping his gums for two seconds was to make him the center of attention. Now, he tried to hide it, but his deep-set eyes glanced at the back wall at a picture of another kid in a basketball uniform. Uh, what you looking at there, sweet Bobby? Uh, what do you mean, Spunky? I'm just, uh... I guess it's no use trying to hide something from the best gumshoe in the world. That's me up there on the wall. Why, sweet Bobby, you're holding a trophy in that picture. Is that a team captain's patch I see? Yeah, that was the state championships. We were all so proud. Most of those fellows went on to be big business guys, you know, real captains of the industry, but not me. I just like cutting hair and talking to everyone, you know? Hey, sweet Bobby! Hey there, Mr. Jackson! Hey, Spunky Man! Hello, Roger! Hey, I'm supposed to tell you... Oh, wait! Oh, man, I lost it. Roger had a memory like a sieve with a hole in it. He attended bar at the beatnik joint up on Mineta. You'd think he was a drinker, but he never took anything but juice and coffee. Must have been something else. Oh, yeah, man. I remember now. You got somebody who wants to see you. Mama Rosette told her to wait in your office, man. Thanks, Roger. Hey, I'll have to come back later, sweet Bobby. Hey, as soon as you do, you'll be at the front of the line, Spunky. Don't you worry about it. I kept a small office in front of my even smaller apartment behind a local patisserie. Mama Rosette had been my landlady ever since her husband, Armand, died back in 49. Most of the locals thought I owned the shop and the apartment and let it out to Mama Rosette just because I loved her pastries, which I did. As I strolled up to the side door of the shop, I gave a little two-fingered wave to Rosette's daughter, Florel, who was showing a tray of confections and other delights to an older man with a sour look, and also a 20-year-old girl who was probably getting married in a week and was shopping for a dessert chef for the big day. Uh, Dad didn't look happy about any of it. Florel gave me a sly wink. She was in her element and loving every minute of it. She could sell an icebox to an Eskimo. She almost sold me on marriage on two occasions. She was younger than I was, very pretty, and a fantastic cook. Somehow I resisted the temptation. As it was, I was still the most eligible broke bachelor in the village, and I had a client waiting in my office, and that meant payday. The heavy wrought iron gate squealed as I opened it. I could already see the woman sitting uncomfortably in my wicker love seat. Oh, I didn't hear your approach. It's the moss that grows between the bricks on the alley. Uh, no matter how much I spend on my shoes, I can't get them to make a good click walking right around here. Oh, I see. Uh, she was a very pretty girl with auburn hair and deep brown eyes. Athletic build, nearly five foot ten. She was wearing the kind of threads you'd find at the bottom of the barrel at a top-of-the-line store. She had money, but she wasn't letting it on. Spunky McLean, at your service. It's nice to meet you, Mr. McLean. My name is Rhonda Carlisle. You're really not at all the severe character I had imagined. Oh, only at the poker table, Miss Carlyle. <laughs> I see. So then, uh, what is it that I can do for you? Mr. McLean, I must learn all I can about the dealings of a certain man. I see. Uh, 
Do you mind if I take some notes? Oh, not at all. Please do. I pulled out my pocket-sized notepad that I used to make it look like I was taking notes. It always puts the client at ease to see me paying close attention, but if I were to actually write anything, I'd be missing all the things they don't tell me. Not just lies, and believe me, you get them all the time in this line of work, but also things they're not even aware of. Uh, Mild tensions, unconscious suspicions. In poker, they call these tells. Everyone has them, even the best players. Vocal inflections in a single word or phrase, even silence. Uh, uh, Go right ahead, Miss Carlyle. You see, I'm not a suspicious person by nature, and I never thought the situation would warrant this kind of observation. His name is Jefferson Charles Guthrie's. Mr. McLean, J.C. Guthrie's is the kind of man every woman should avoid. But unfortunately, women usually don't. And uh, how exactly are you involved with J.C. Guthrie's? I'm not involved with him at all. Or as little as possible. He's been making advances to my friend. Her name is Gina, Gina Ferrelli. Are you getting all this? Am I going too fast? Oh, it's fine. Shorthand. Mental shorthand. I'm sorry? Uh, Gina Ferrelli, huh? Yes, that's right. Have you heard of her? I'm afraid not. Oh, you will. She's fabulous. She'll be a star someday. So she's an actress? Yes, but she's only in the course at the Rockford Theater now. Really? As am I. One night she received three dozen roses from Mr. Guthrie's. She said she had never gotten roses from anyone before. You could hardly believe that for how beautiful she is. At any rate, she decided that J.C. Guthrie's was the man for her. His pursuit spared no expense. So when he asked if he could borrow $1,000 from her, she didn't even hesitate. She thought he had probably spent at least that on her. Indeed, that money was her life savings. Of course, he swore that it was just because the market was poor and that he would have her money back in a few days. That was two weeks ago. As far as I can tell, there is no indication that he will ever pay it back. But she did give it of her own free will? Mr. McLean, Gina is sweet and naive. Her trust in Mr. Guthrie's has already cost her much. I must do what I can to prevent it from costing her something even more dear. And you want me to help you expose this man to your friend? Exactly. Follow him around. Find out what he's doing with his money. Even he can't spend it that fast. I believe he's involved in endeavors more suspect than mere squanderings. I see, Miss Carlyle. This is beginning to smack of criminal accusation. Are you sure? I know it sounds strange, but I've seen him speaking to people who do not look wholesome, and J.C. Guthrie's is not the kind of man who would let anything near him that might besmirch his precious reputation, unless he absolutely had to. His reputation. Are are you all right, Miss Carlyle? Oh, yes. I want Gina to know what kind of man J.C. Guthrie's is. I want her to understand him the way I understand That kind of man. So would you like me to observe some of Mr. Guthrie's dealings with these uh, unwholesome characters and then report them to you so you can share them with your friend? Is that correct? My best friend. My only true friend in the world, yes. Mr. McLean, I want to be as good as a friend to her as she has been to me. Better if I can. That is why I cannot allow her to go on in ignorance about this man. This man who she is in peril of becoming associated with in a way that may not be easily repaired. I understand. Now that I am somewhat clear as to the details of this case, I must familiarize you with my fees. Yes, of course. Do you charge by the day or by the week? She came back with such ease that it seemed like she wasn't worried about the money at all. Like this part of the conversation was familiar territory. My thin and hungry eel skin wallet was practically salivating at the idea. And I would have continued on as brightly as a York Terrier to his bowl of kibble. Except that something about the idea of a chorus girl with a bankroll reminded me of oil and water. It didn't take a talent scout to see that this dancer was more than she seemed. One short explanation about 50 clams a day, plus expenses and zero hassles about it later. I bid the lovely Rhonda Carlisle good morning and escorted her to the street. We're offered to hell or a cab. Oh, don't bother. It's such a lovely day. I think I'll just walk. 
I'll contact you as soon as I get anything, Miss Carlyle. Thank you for your discretion, Mr. McLean. She walked like a dancer, but not a chorus girl, more like a ballerina. Just that kind of grace. With the down payment burning a hole in my pocket and my stomach telling me it was time to get down to business, I made straight away for Cucina La Guardia and a fresh cannoli. Mario! Hey, Spunky, what do you want? You tell Mama Diana, mange delicioso, okay? Hey, Spunky, she waited in there for the 30 minutes. All she wanted to know is, what do you say? What do you say? She waited to hear you say you love the cannoli, and I say, Mama, he always say he love the cannoli. You always make a cannoli the same. What do you want? I tell you something, Mr. Spunky, my papa, may he rest in peace. Not to say so much, but I got eight sisters and two brothers from what he did say. So, you know what, Spunky? I go and I get her, and you tell her yourself. <laughs> Spunky, are you there? I've got something wonderful here. Uh, never mind, Mario. I'll tell her later. Uh, tell her now. Tell her later. You're not the one that has to go and talk to her. Hiram, over here. Oh, Spunky, you've got to hear this. You remember those giant crustaceans I was telling you about off the coast of Alaska? They might be migrating early this year, as many as 48 hours. I've got it all right here. Oh, that is fascinating. Hiram Dickens, Ph.D. He was my only associate who, uh, still associated with me. He was the head of the Department of Zoology and Anthropology from Princeton from 37 to 46 when they forced him into retirement. But not because he was that old, but because after the war, the State Department was just glittering with military brass that needed jobs. And the funds that kept them in uniform were being redirected to domestic institutions, especially influential universities. Frightening to think that, he, that the man now heading up zoology didn't know the difference between a printing gorse and a platypus. So with his tenure gone and his life ahead, Dr. Hiram Dickens dedicated his time to his true passion. Research. In many ways, he was a better detective than I was. I just hope he never found himself on the business end of a 38 like I had a habit of doing. I met him during an insurance fraud case involving a stolen white tiger, conspicuously replaced with a wombat. He was the best partner a PI could ask for. He was excited about doing all the boring footwork, and when it came time to get paid, he didn't want a cent. For him, it was the most exciting work he'd ever done, and he was just glad to be a part of it. This might be the most important zoological discovery of the year. I'm absolutely speechless. Yes, yes, I know. So, what is the latest? Have you started a new case? Just this morning, in fact. A dancer from the Rockford Theater named Rhonda Carlyle wants me to shadow a man named J.C. Guthries. Oh, I see. Cloak and dagger, eh? Well, I think I can handle the cloak, but if it comes time to the dagger, I'm afraid I'll have to leave the tough guy stuff to you. <laughs> Very funny, Spunky. <laughs> Let's head back to the office. I need to make a call to Sergeant O'Doyle and see if I can cover some ground sitting down. Oh, quite so. Strike out before the trail cools. Very good. Yeah, there's no trail as of yet. Hello, Spunky. Buongiorno, Diana. Amo suo cibo soprattutto, suo cannoli. Ma una storia di mulattia mentale. Oh, well, uh, goodbye. <laughs> what the devil did you say to her? Oh, I just explained to her that I absolutely loved her cooking, but um, I have a history of mental illness. Would you like anything, Hiram? Uh, half a monocrito, perhaps? Oh, I'm fine, Spunky. This J.C. Guthrie's character sounds like a real stinker. Yeah, the prodigal preying on the proverbial innocent. Indeed. Oh, what's this? Oh, I say, do you play this trumpet, Spunky? Oh, that thing, I... I... Pick it up three or four times a year, if, if that. Spunky, this Rhonda Carlyle sounds like she knows Guthrie's better than it seems. Perhaps even much better. It would explain a lot. Now, Hiram, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind putting together a dossier on this J.C. Guthrie's. Oh, Spunky, I would be delighted. I'll start this very afternoon. I've been wanting to give my friend Dr. Friedrich a call down at the Department of Records anyway. Ever since they retired in my little visits are the highlights of his day. 
He doesn't have much of a life, you know. Well, good thing he's got a fireball like you around to keep things zesty. Indeed. And I can't wait to show him my discovery about king crab migration variances. Did I mention about the way they mate? Uh, no, but listen, uh, while you're down there, why don't you go ahead and find out what you can about Rhonda Carlisle and Gina Ferrelli, too. I'm going to get down on the horn with Sergeant O'Doyle. You know, professional courtesy. Oh, of course. Uh, how to make sure the authorities know everything is on the up and up? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should poke your head in the shop on your way out. Uh, Florel will probably offer you something in the way of a pastry. You think so? Oh, sure. Uh, hello, operator. Get me the 22nd precinct. Sergeant O'Doyle's desk, please. That's what I love about you, Spunky. You know all the right people. <laughs> Maybe so, but not all of them like me. <laughs> Sergeant William O'Doyle of New York's finest. Fact is, he truly was their finest. First-generation Irish, decorated police officer, and World War II veteran. He was a tough guy, and he handled pressure with ease and a red-cheeked smile. He was no genius, mind you, but he was loaded with common sense, and he was as persistent as a bulldog. Uh, this is Sergeant O'Doyle. Hello, Sergeant. Spunky McLean here. Oh, Spunky. I, you haven't gone and caused another mess for me to clean up after. Well, no, Sergeant, but then again, it's only Monday. <laughs> Listen, Sergeant, I wanted to tell you about a new case I'm working on. I'm getting the lowdown on a man named J.C. Guthrie's. All right, Spunky. Well, I'll keep my ears open and let you know if anything comes up. Thank you, Sergeant. J.C. Guthrie's. Well, if you want to find the owl, go to where the mice are. It was time to take in a show at the Rockford Theater. I'd been meaning to go to the Rockford for a while now. It had burned in a two-alarm back in 51. But someone had redone the whole place two years ago, and it was enjoying a streak of great reviews. Just one, please. 11.50. By the looks of things on the inside, someone had spent a pretty penny on the remodeling. More than I would have guessed for a theater in this neighborhood. Uh, right this way, sir. Thank you. Mind you, my seat wasn't good enough to do more than catch the gist of what was going on. But I could see the people in the box seats, and I recognized one of them. It was Sylvester Underhill, a small man with a large bank account. What am I saying? He owned the bank. In the last year, he'd been making a move on properties in this area. All kinds of places. Mama Rosette even got an offer, but she made it quite clear that if it were up to her, she would end her days running her little patisserie. out the story was about two boyhead friends riding over the emperor's daughter. One tried to have the other killed with a vase full of pit vipers, but the princess got it instead. Then everybody else died and so on and so forth. About as happy as a social disease, the crowd loved it. Everybody loved it except Underhill. He was wearing the same sour face. The only person in the box with him was a large man who sat behind. He had no hair at all, just two small eyes like bullet holes in his flat face. As the applause died down, I scratched a note to Gina on my little pad. Um, say, boy. Yeah, mister. Um, who's that beautiful jet-haired number in the quarters? The one in the middle on the left. Oh, you mean Gina? Gina Ferrelli? Yeah, she got the face of an angel. Will you do me a favor? Send her this note. Hey, Looks like I'm a, a delivery boy tonight. I got another one for Gina right here. Thanks. As the throng made for the exit, I made my way toward the stage to get a better look. Janitors were already getting a head start on things. And, uh, make sure that you get it all. Hey, say, you're Luther Chesterton, aren't you? Uh, who wants to know? Boy, talk about a local legend. Luther the Freight Train Chesterton. You're the greatest fighter this side of the Hudson. 
Freddie Barrett, 1953. You sent that punk back to the hills. I, he must have been almost twice your size. Uh, he wasn't that big. Oh, I sure he was. And what about... Uh, uh, listen, friend. Not everybody around this place knows about me being a fighter, and uh, I kind of like to keep it that way, you know? Oh, hey, I understand. Uh, I don't suppose fighters and opera singers come to each other's Christmas parties, do they? Uh, yeah. Hey, my name is McLean. Call me Spunky. Y- yeah, okay. Luther, uh, is there any way you could get me backstage? There's someone I'd really like to meet. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I guess. Uh, what's the name? Gina Ferrelli. Uh, you know her? Uh, look, maybe you should just go back out the way you came in, huh? Yeah, but... Uh... All right. Sure thing, Luther. Hey, uh, good luck on that uh, Spinetti fight next week, huh? Whatever the deal was between Luther and Gina, it clammed him up like a shot of lemon juice. I'd have to wait until later to get backstage... And then my luck changed. Darling, I've got to go. I have an important meeting with my banker. J.C. Guthrie! What kind of banker has a meeting at 11 o'clock at night? I mean, honestly. The expensive kind, really. Go to Lyle's party. I'm sure it'll be loads of fun. Without you, it'll be such a bore. I'll see you later, dear. Guthrie's jumped into one cab, and I took the one right behind him. Hey, where's he, pal? Please follow my friend. He's just in the next car. You got it. Following not too close behind, we took a roundabout way to Long Island. Definitely the road less traveled. We pulled into an old neighborhood with homes of the elite. Guthrie's cab pulled up to a house with six tall white pillars in the front. A long green lawn sprawled all the way to the black iron and flagstone pillar fence. Uh, driver, just pull over right here for a moment. Now whatever you say, pal. Guthrie stepped out in the long drive and told his driver something quickly. Then the driver pointed to the house, and Guthrie's was off to the door. Uh, say, Mac, would you mind turning off the car? My driver was catching on that I wasn't exactly in the company of the man we followed. He kept his eyes conspicuously off the developing situation. And developed it did. In the distance, in front of the door, I noticed the familiar red glow of a cigar being drawn. Then, I noticed the man smoking it. A tall man. Taller than Guthrie's. Guthrie's walked up to him slowly, and the man gave him some money. Guthrie's rushed back to his cab and paid the driver, who then drove off the other end of the circular drive. As Guthrie's approached the taller man, now veiled in the smoke of fine, moist tobacco, he hesitated and gestured as if he was speaking. The man burst forth from the smoke and struck Guthrie's with the back of his hand. Guthrie's reeled and the tall man advanced into plain sight. He was older, perhaps 50, very distinguished looking and very well dressed. He was shouting at Guthrie's, who didn't even move. Then suddenly, Guthrie's went to the house. The older man stayed and slowly became enveloped in the sweet smoke of his cigar. I had seen enough. Uh, driver, uh, do you know uh, the address here? Uh, yes, yeah, it says right over there. It's 31. I saw the street on the way in. Uh, it's Durham Place. Yeah, that was it. All right, pal. Uh, better get out of here. Greenwich Village. The short way this time, all right? <laughs> you got it, pal. All the money around here gives me the creeps. Uh, keep the lights off until we've backed out of sight, would you? Good thinking. The next morning, I was locked in a grueling chess match with my most daunting opponent. And I was winning, too. Uh, I'm here, Hiram. Playing against yourself again, eh? <laughs> yeah, these days I'm the only one I can be. Uh, what have you got? News, although most of it is quite puzzling. A lot of fascinating facts about our Mr. Guthrie's, Miss Carlyle, and Miss Ferrelli. Do tell. Aha! Mate! Spunky, pay attention. Oh, sorry. All right, so uh, what's the wire on, Guthrie's? Mr. Jefferson Charles Guthrie's of the Long Island Guthrie's. He was educated at Yale, where it appears he barely made a passing average. He resides at the home of his father, Arthur Guthrie's. Let me guess. 31 Durham Place. Exactly. How did you... I followed him home from the Rockford Theater last night. The Rockford, indeed. Funny you should mention it. 
The only thing he has managed to maintain ownership of is an automobile that was crashed and sold for spare parts. However, before the vehicle was destroyed, a lien of debt was placed on the title by a man named Sylvester Underhill. The real estate mogul, of course. Guthrie's is indebted to Underhill. Precisely. Now, here's where the connection runs a bit sketchy, I'm afraid. Records show that Underhill was made an offer on the deed of the Rockford Theater, but he reneged and has not made any offers for nearly a year. So unless Guthrie's association with Miss Ferrelli is the connection to the Rockford you're looking for... I'm afraid Underhill's a dead end. Yeah, perhaps. But what about Carlisle? Ah, dry a bit of work. No records on a Rhonda Carlisle younger than age 50 anywhere in New York, I'm afraid. A phone call to the Rockford yielded nothing more than a public biographical excerpt, which, to be honest, was far from exceptional. Danced in this, sang in that, no principal work at all. Nothing further back than 18 months. Hmm. Perhaps she's using an assumed identity, a stage name. But what about that? Possibly. You don't suppose... Oh, never mind. What, what is it, Hiram? Well, Spunky, I was just imagining why someone would want to an assume an identity at all. You know, the motivation, either to hide something that you have done, or to hide the person that you are, that is, the family you come from. And then I thought of the 8th Avenue Carlisles, the philanthropists, and how splendid it would be if one of their... Wait a minute! Hand me that photo of Guthrie's at Yale. What's that? Oh, uh, here it is. That's his father, his father's brother, and the girl with her hand on his shoulder is... Rhonda Carlisle. I thought you said she had dark red hair. She does. My good Dr. Dickens, the woman who hired me in this very room is the same woman as the blonde in this picture, Sharon R. Carlyle. Sharon R. Carlyle, of course. She didn't want to change her name. That was still useful to her. She just uses her middle name, and apparently no one has been the wiser. Until now. Wait just a minute. We aren't the only ones who know. Guthrie's must know, too. They knew each other at the time this picture was taken, three years ago. Spunky, you don't think that... That they were involved... That might have something to do with why she wants him to stay away from Gina. See, it doesn't look like he's done much with that expensive education, except incurred debts his father pays. What did you find out about Miss Ferrelli at the theater? Not much. I was temporarily prevented from that and uh, had to follow Guthrie's as soon as I spotted him. He's with another woman now, too. That fickle Freddy. Mm-hmm. You know, the renovation of the Rockford must have been a staggering expenditure. It might be worth my time to take a little tour. I escorted Dr. Dickens to the street by way of the eclair tray in the shop, and we took a cab to the Rockford. I'll leave you to it, Spunky. I've got some more work to do. Uh, enjoy yourself, Hiram. It was still early enough in the day that I didn't see very many people around the theater, mostly the support staff. I had to try to dodge Luther if I could. Can I help you, sir? Uh, yes, please. Uh, are you in charge of this establishment? I am. My name is Leonard Spivey. I'm the general manager of the Rockford, and you are... McLean. Uh, say, I was wondering if I could get a little tour of the place. Uh, the performing arts have always been a keen interest to me. Of course, sir. Uh, I can assist you in that department. No one knows as much about the Rockford Theater as I do. Well then, Mr. Spivey, lead on. This guy was like a walking history lesson. Knew everything about the Rockford since it was first built in 1926. Most importantly, he knew about the renovation and the renovators. Unified Holdings Corporation. The best thing that ever happened to this theater was when the whole Nesbitt family, the previous owners, went bankrupt. They never did anything to help the theater thrive. Back then it was called the Grand Gala. Indeed. Sounds like a brothel. Now we have electricity and plumbing in every part of the building. You see that right up there? What, uh, that thing sticking out of the ceiling? Yes, part of an ultra-modifying, extinguishing system that runs through the whole building. Must have cost an arm and a leg. A small price to protect the theater and its patrons. Indeed. Well, I'm afraid I must end our tour here. I need to make a phone call in five minutes exactly. Um, is it all right if I look around a bit on my own? Um, all right then, but please don't bother the staff. Uh, is Mr. Chesterton in today? Luther? No, not at the moment. He doesn't arrive until 4.30. How do you know him? 
Uh, only in passing. Rather odd chap, isn't he? Strong as ten men, but not very bright, I'm afraid. At any rate, it was good to have met a gentleman such as yourself who can appreciate the art and architecture. I do hope you'll patronize us again soon. Oh, you can be sure of it. I decided to take a little look around backstage and in the dressing halls. To my surprise, there were a good number of people there, but not all of them happy. Oh! Hey! Oh, my. What's the big idea? Well, I'm so terribly sorry, miss. Uh, I didn't hear you coming around the corner in your, uh, well, why stockings. Were you... Ooh, tiptoeing around. What are you, a cat burglar? Hey, Shay, you played the Emperor's Daughter in the show last night, didn't you? Yeah? So who are you? Oh, my name's McLean. I'm with, uh... I'm with the New York Times. The Times? Oh! <laughs> well, I'm Barbara Davies, as I'm sure you already know. <laughs> Won't you have a seat in here? <laughs> oh, thank you. She turned so fast I almost thought she was schizophrenic, or I was. One second I'm a lowlife, the next she was dragging me into her dressing room. She sat me down on a small cushioned stool next to her twin armoires, and she took perch on her full height director's chair. Now, what would you like to know about? Once again, my pocket notepad was useful, just not for actually writing anything. <laughs> well, for starters, uh, how did you land the role of the emperor's daughter? Oh, well, I do all the principal work for the Rockford. There's really no one else who could handle an ingenue role like I can. You, um, have no understudy? Well, of course. Her name is Gina Ferrelli. She's just a chorus girl. I really have no idea what we would do if we actually had to use her. She spends all of her time here, poor girl. She says it's because she needs the practice. I don't know about you, Mr. McLean, but I think there's just no substitute for raw, abundant talent. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I had to wrap this up fast. Things were getting crowded between me, Davies, and her swelling head. Tell me about your future with the Rockford. Well, when you're talented and beautiful, you really have to keep your options open. I mean, the sky's the limit. I'm really interested in pursuing a film career. I mean, I'm loads better than most of the women I see on the silver screen. Oh, I'm sure you are. Uh, well, I, I really must be going. Are you sure you wouldn't like to show just a teeny-weeny little bit of what you're going to write about me in the entertainment column? Oh, I, uh, I don't write for the entertainment column. You don't? Well, what do you write for? Um, gardening. Gardening? Uh, yes, there are some lovely flowers in here. Uh, what are they, zinnias? What in the world uh, does gardening have to do with anything? Yes, well, goodbye. What in the world does gardening have to do with anything? As Barbara Davies recovered from our interview, I continued down the dressing hall. As I came around the corner, I saw a long hallway with one door at the end on the right. There was a small man standing in the doorway. Oh, I disagree completely. I hold the view that you are in no position whatsoever to make demands. As for the present, I will leave you with your thoughts. I hope you make the right decision. Get out of here! I don't want to see you anymore! It was Underhill, and a young woman. I receded into the shadows. Well, this was not exactly the conversation I wanted to be noticed having overheard. But it was too late. <sighs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> is this your spot? It was Underhill's thug. He had one hand gently on my shoulder, and the other was gesturing to where I had just come from. Oh, no, I was uh, just heading this way. And he wasn't budging. Those small black eyes just stared at me. He was in my personal space, and his cheap aftershave was letting me know it. <laughs> Not that way, huh? Uh, look, buddy, am I going to have to become persuasive? <laughs> he grinned wide as he could at me. His teeth were like a vice grip made of polished ivory. He wasn't missing a one, and they were huge and white. I guess he knew how to floss. Right, uh, well, I was just leaving anyways. 
he followed me, ten steps behind. When I would look over my shoulder at him, he just grinned at me with those big pearly vice. Look, baby, what can I say? You're just not my type. Oh, come on, darling, give me another chance. You don't like flowers? I'll write you a pretty poem, huh? Mr. Apana behind me stopped when he saw the blonde dame and the sailor, and I don't think it was because of her curves either. He didn't want to be seen in any more than I did. The blonde, who I recognized from the chorus, was dressed to go out and make it look good. There were only two things about her that really caught my eye. The sharp contrast between her trim figure and her chubby cheeks and a peculiar orange stain on her right middle finger. I knew that stain. I'd seen it around town. It came from drinking carrot juice and smoking a hand-rolled cigarette at the same time. <laughs> the beatniks around here called it the Soho stain. Maybe I'll see you around. Oh, baby, don't be like that. Oh. Say, buddy, you want some flowers? Looks like I ain't going to be needing them. Thanks. Uh, I'll see what I can do with them. Uh, say, do you know where Gina Ferrelli's dressing room is? Uh, yeah, it's down at the end of the hall on the right. She says with... Say, not you too. Boy, that broad's got a whole fan club and she doesn't even know it. Better luck to you, pal. Things were getting stranger every minute. I had a whole stack of questions and nothing to show for it but a handful of pink roses. I was on my way out walking past Barbara Davies' room when the door opened suddenly. <laughs> It's you again. What do you want? More questions from my one fan with the green thumb? Oh, um, these are for you. Thanks a lot. Mr. McLean, you're still here. Uh, just leaving, actually. Uh, say, you know that girl, Darlene? Darlene Lovejoy, yes. She's in the chorus. She's an excellent dancer, but her voice is just frightful. Mm-hmm. Do you know how I might uh, contact her? Uh, yes. Seeing some of the other girls spend their free evenings at a local establishment called the Jazz Grotto. But it's really not a place for a gentleman like yourself. Yes, well, uh, thank you. The Jazz Grotto was the juice and coffee bar on Moneta where my friend Roger Edelson jerked the tap. In a joint like that, a square like me would stick out like an elephant in a haystack. I needed a disguise. And more than that, I needed a reason to be there. The Jazz Grotto was just like its name. A dark cave, thick with waftings of smoke from the clientele, and of music from the combo on the tiny stage where we were all wearing sunglasses. They were wearing sunglasses, the places was clean, but it didn't feel clean. The music penetrated the whole joint, and it seemed like each song lasted for 20 minutes. There was a bittersweet smell in the air. I couldn't identify it, but it seemed more potent the nearer I got to the band. Not everyone in here was a beatnik. But the beatniks were the only ones who were staring at everyone else. I was wearing a turtleneck, a pair of dungarees, a rosette's beret, and some small-rimmed sunglasses. I carried my most conspicuously weathered trumpet case, and when I approached the door, the bouncer nearly yanked me off my feet. Look, I just wanted something to drink, and that guy... Martinis of a squares. You come in asking for martini again. I ain't gonna be so nice. Hey, hey, there you are, man. You gotta get up there. The set started half an hour ago. But I... Oh, I stepped timidly onto the stage, realizing what a stupid idea this was. I tried to back down, but the song ended suddenly, and a spotlight was on all of us. Thank you very much. Hey, looks like our trumpet player is now in attendance. Sit down over there, man. Uh, listen, I'm not who you think I am. Yeah, man, I feel the same way sometimes. I feel like, like a traveler. So, let's meet this guy. What's your name, brother? My name is, uh, my name is Mac Daddy. Well, we're gonna start Mac Daddy up with a little perpetual motion. 
I could barely keep up with the music. I was breaking a sweat. They were going so fast. Goes a little something like this. Take it, Jerry. Dennis. I got the funny feeling in a minute, it would be my turn. I was getting more and more nervous the closer they got to me. like I just run a marathon. I needed some carrot juice. Bartender! Hey, whatever you want, man. It's on the house. You were cooking up there. So uh, hot! Juice! You got it, man. One carrot juice coming right up. I was scanning the place for Darling Lovejoy, but no luck. Here you go, man. It wasn't carrot juice. It was, hmm, pineapple. I guess I'm lucky it wasn't lemon. I drank it like I was a camel at the edge of the Euphrates. Hey! Oh! oh, oh, oh. Ow! Hey, you startled me, baby. Uh, don't worry about it, man. I'll get you another. Wow! You're really something! I was seeing this other fella, but he just wasn't my type. <laughs> it was Darlene. She was holding a glass of carrot juice, a hand-rolled cigarette, and a gaze that pushed into the backs of my eyes. Really? What is your type, baby? Trumpet players. <laughs> oh, boy. i never seen you around here before. Well, uh, I don't come here often. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm here most nights. You should come here more often. <laughs> uh, I'll try. So what do you do for work? I'm in the chorus at the Rockford. I can kick my legs higher than any of them, though. Wanna see? <coughs> no, 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 really. Uh, say, the Rockford, isn't that uh, where Gina Ferrelli works? Yeah. You know what? Oh, I've heard of her. Do you know her boyfriend, J.C. Guthrie's? Guthrie's? Oh, sure. He's gorgeous. A real high society type, you know. But he's no good to her. How do you, I mean, how do you know? He's a two-timer and everybody knows it. He told Gina that it's just business, but I know better. If it wasn't for Luther helping her out all the time. Luther? Yeah, she lost all the money she had a couple of weeks ago. And Luther lets us sleep in the dressing room. He and a few of us girls are the only ones that knows about it. If that rat Spivey knew about it, he'd turn her out on the street. If he did, Luther would probably knock his lights out. He's a fighter, you know. Luther's kind of got a crush on Gina. But if you ask me, he's a little too rough around the edges. I like the sophisticated, sensitive types. <laughs> Sounds like she doesn't have any good prospects. I think she'll be all right, though. She's got a secret admirer. Oh, you mean Sylvester Underhill? No, not that creep. It's somebody else. I don't know who. He writes up poems and sends her flowers. You know, carnations and stuff. Real old-fashioned kind of romance. Sylvester ain't nothing but a little lizard. And that guy what's always with him, why, oh, gives me the creeps. 
I'd like to have an admirer like Gina. <laughs> Still, for I guess it wasn't for him, none of us would have a job. He owns the Rockford? Not exactly, but he pays for stuff. He's always telling Spidey, I can do what I like. I paid for that chandelier and stuff like that. I don't know, if he wasn't such a press, I'd say he was crooked. Oh, I'm blabbing too much. Don't be silly, baby. I, uh, I like your voice. Really? <laughs> Here you go, man. One carrot juice. Roger handed me another pineapple juice. A martini never sounded so good. So, tell me about yourself, Mac Daddy. Oh, me? <laughs> Lemon juice. That was my cue to leave. Sorry, baby, I gotta run. I slipped out the bag just in time for the band to come back on stage. A lot of questions. Everything tied back to the Rockford. I had to go back there by way of a change of clothes to stoop around, see if I could talk to Miss Forelli. When I arrived at the Rockford, the place was dead. Not a single light on. The front door was open. I quietly slipped inside and could barely see my way from the glow of the exit signs. Then I heard something. I froze. I wish I didn't know that sound, but I did. Someone was dragging a body. The sound stopped. I didn't dare to move. I had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I took a few steps into the theater itself. I listened as hard as I could. The acoustics were strange in the theater, making the darkness seem even more elusive. I wouldn't even be able to tell if there was somebody in there. And whoever they were, they knew where I was. I had to get out. I took a few steps back, getting ready to bolt for the door. But then... Hit from behind. I was out like a light. The next thing I heard was the sound of my own feet dragging on the ground. I was dropped into a pile of garbage. Then it was all silent. Will Spunky find the girl behind the screen? Will your favorite detective be a suspect himself? Stay tuned for Act Two of Spunky McLean. That was the end of Part One of Spunky McLean and the Murder at the Rockford Theater. It was written and directed by Sonny Bynum and featured the voice talents of Christina Dinopoulos, Shannon Atkinson, Jess Price, Rachel Baker, Desiree Folt, Peggy Bott Kirby, Rich Baker, Matthew David Ducey, Holland Sanders, and Rod Wayne. Incidental music by Brandon Brown. Sound effects by Brandon Brown and Joshua Cox. It was performed and recorded one night only on May 17th, 2002. Tune in next time to hear the exciting conclusion of Spunky McLean. The Texas Radio Theater Company, in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art, performs and records modern audio theater in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you'd like more information about our group, you can log on to our website at texasradiotheater.com, or you can look for us on Facebook. I'm Rich Froelich, and on behalf of our cast and crew, thanks for listening. <laughs>